Today's scripture is from Matthew 6, verse 17 to 15, which can be found on your pure Bible, page 960. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I'll tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is the God's word. Well, it's a delight for me to uh, welcome our guest preacher, Reverend Dr. John Sinyonyi here this morning. Uh, he is affiliated and working with the Ugandan Christian University and an organization uh, called Save the Mothers, which you can hear more about uh, over the lunch period. But it is just a delight in so many ways to have a good evangelical brother in the faith. He's an ordained minister within the uh, Anglican Fellowship. Um, but Knox is an international church. We are regularly uh, uh, welcoming people from all sorts of parts of the world, and so it's a delight to welcome our guest today from Uganda. Why don't we take a moment to pray for him, shall we? Father God, thank you for this beautiful family of faith that spans time and geography, and thank you for this brother in Christ. We pray now that you would bless John that you would inspire him through your Holy Spirit to preach faithfully the word of Jesus to us. In his name we pray, amen. amen. Welcome. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good morning and praise the Lord. Actually, if I can uh, just teach you something very small that we usually do in Uganda, when you stand up, quite often people will say, Praise the Lord, and then you can respond, Amen. So can I do that? It will make me feel very comfortable to do that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. I want to say thank you to you, Phil, for the opportunity to come and share God's word here, and for welcoming us here. I did actually come with my wife. We are traveling together. We arrived on Thursday. So I'll ask uh, my wife if you could kindly stand up, Dr. Ruth Senyonyi, and uh, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's my wife of more than 30 years, and God has blessed us with four children, 
Uh, two of them are married, and then uh, God's blessings never end. He's given us also two grandchildren that we love very, very dearly and miss uh, each time that we go away from Uganda. Uh, but we are very thankful for the opportunity to be here, and thank you for the warm welcome uh, to Knox Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be amongst you. We also came with uh, uh, another friend who has actually been to Uganda, Christian University. Uh, that's Heather Lennox, if you could kindly also stand up, but she's from among you. Uh, she's, uh, uh, she works here in London, uh, but uh, it's a joy for us to join up with her once again in Canada. And so thank you for that. Now today I'm going to be sharing with you on confession, keeping a right relationship with God. Confession. I remember many years ago, I lived in Australia and I had a friend of mine, a Ugandan friend. And that Ugandan friend one time came to me and he said, I have given my life to Christ. And I thought that was a wonderful thing. So when he said it, I took him into my apartment. He did not have a place to stay. And I started talking to him about Jesus and how to grow in Christ. I felt that I owed him some kind of discipleship. Then I started talking about sin. And when I mentioned to him sin and the problem of sin and the need for confession, he said to me, no, I did not come to Christ for that. And it did not take very long. A few years down the road, he had given up his faith. And I think for me, it highlights very clearly the centrality of confession to God if we are to walk with Christ in a healthy way. The Lord saved me in 1976. I was a university student at the time. And God spoke to me through another student. I had heard the gospel for many, many years. And one of the things that really struck me was the life that believers lived. Because from childhood I had seen people in the East African revival who came to Christ. And one of the distinctive marks of the people who came to Christ was confession of sin. And as they confessed, they left their sin and they started walking lives that for me were admirable. And I wanted very much to find the Christ that they, that they had. And God graciously gave me that in 1976. And I understood that to come to Christ necessarily entails confession of sin. That it is impossible for one to walk with Christ consistently or to continue being with God in a right relationship, except we deal with the problem of sin. Now, in this day and age, many people don't even want to talk about sin anyway. We really don't want to. Like my friend, would like to think that I can walk my Christian life without ever dealing with the problem of sin. And I really want to thank this church for the opportunity to include that within your series on prayer. Because I think it means a lot. Now prayer 
is necessary to the Christian life. That much we know. Some people have summarized the whole aspect of prayer in four letters, which I'm sure many of you are aware of. Acts. Adoration. Confession. Thanksgiving. Supplication. Now today we are talking about confession. Because adoration... I would consider to be the wow prayer. Wow. The God we have is wow. Confession, on the other hand, is the sorry prayer. The sorry prayer. Thanksgiving is, of course, the thank you prayer. And supplication is please, Lord, prayer. John Bunyan said, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. One of the things that fascinates me quite often is to, is to hear how people appear before a judge. And you do also use the British common law as we do in Uganda. And so they ask you the question, how do you plead? Guilty or not guilty? Now, I find that irrespective of whether the person knows they are guilty or not, they usually say, not guilty. Very, very few people. Probably out of 100, you'll hear of point one, who will be able to say, I am guilty, your honor. The rest will say, not guilty. Even if they know that they're guilty. And you can just imagine how much waste of resources we have as a result of people failing to admit that they are wrong, that they have done something that is wrong. You see, that's what prayer is all about. We all say that we are sinners. The question is, would we plead guilty about the Ten Commandments, maybe having another God? Of course, it doesn't mean that you, just, you have an idol somewhere that you worship. That may not be so. But what is that that takes the place of God? That somehow you worship in place of him. What about the Sabbath day? What about honoring our parents? Yesterday we were talking with some friends about this whole aspect of honoring parents. Is that something that many of us would find, would fail before God? And we would, be to, we would be able to say, I am guilty as charged? Or would we say, I'm not guilty? What about stealing? What about murder? Those people that you are bitter about and angry, and you keep on nursing that bitterness and wish them ill. Would we be found guilty? So when we are talking about confession... We are talking about something that is so real in our lives. And I want to encourage you, when you go back home, take the Ten Commandments, go through each and every one of them, look through it, and ask yourself, do I plead guilty or not guilty? If you plead guilty, maybe it will be your opportunity to confess, to be able to say, the sorry prayer that is so important. The Bible repeatedly, and I'm so thankful that Psalm 51 was sung for us here, because the Bible repeatedly enjoins us to 
confess our sins. You cannot read the scriptures without seeing it everywhere. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In James chapter 5, verse 16, confession is part of what we need to do before we pray for the sick. But actually, forgiveness of sin necessarily leads to effectual prayer for the sick. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Psalm 32, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Acts chapter 19, verse 18, it says, Also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Isn't it wonderful? At the beginning of, this church, uh, of our service here, I was very interested that there was a time that was given for us to confess. And many churches do have this. When they have their liturgical prayers, one of the first things that churches do is to confess sin before God. And this is normally placed at the beginning of the service to prepare us for the right worship. Bishop Jesse Ryle said, praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. So effective prayer, my brothers and sisters, requires a purity of heart. So when we talk about prayer, it becomes necessary for us to deal with this whole problem of sin. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1 to 2 says that your sins have distanced you from me. God complaining about his people because sin erects a wall between God and us. But confession is the way that God has given us to bring that wall down. Now I'm going to dwell on just three things here very quickly. First of all, I want to deal with the whole aspect, looking at our passage, I want to look at our merits to confess. What audacity, what confidence, what boldness can we have to come before God and confess our sins? Because in the first place, when we sin, we actually wrong this same God. And so there is a sense in which we should be feeling shame. And even hesitancy coming before this God. I just want you to consider. You have wronged your wife if you're married or you've wronged a friend. And when you have wronged them, you've hurt them. Is it easy to go back to them and say, I'm sorry? You know, sometimes we say sorry rather flippantly. But we need to understand that it comes with a lot of shame. So what are our merits to confess? First of all, the Bible here says, as he begins that prayer, he says, call him our Father in heaven. What a beautiful thing it is. Our Father. Now this God already knows before you even tell him everything that you have done. In fact, it's totally unintelligent and useless to hide our sins. But Jesus teaches us, call him your Father. 
as you come before him. Call him father. Now friends, I do not know if you understand what a privilege it is that Christians can call him father. No other religion ever calls him father. I have even read that the Muslims, they have 99 most beautiful names of God, but none of them is our father. No religion whatsoever can ever call him father. That Jesus teaches us, call him our father, is actually telling us that he has open arms for us to come to him. You see, the merits are not ours. The merits are because of his grace, his mercy, his willingness to receive us. Nobody else can call him that. We get to understand that sin breaks our relationship with God. Like I read in Psalm, 50, Psalm 32. But sin does not cease that relationship. We can still come to him and say, our father. In other words, when, we are, when we've gone wrong, when we've sinned against God, we can still come to him and call him father. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship you've had with your father. I'm thankful to God I had a loving relationship. I know there are many people who don't have a loving relationship. But if you have had a loving relationship with your father, I know times when I did wrong and I found it difficult to go back. I even remember one particular day when I hid in the bush until evening. I remember the time because he also, he also became my teacher in one of the classes, one time when I did not want to sit at a meal with him as a father. But you know, he never ceased being father. He still was father. And you know, I remember that time when I sat at the meal and I knew that I had done something wrong. He said absolutely nothing. He allowed this errant son to eat his food. We can still call God our Father. That's a privilege. That's a beautiful thing. That we do have this invitation to call him Father. Not because we are walking right, but because he has chosen to be merciful, to be gracious to each and every one of us. In fact, our shame, our shame about sin is the very opportunity for us to confess to be forgiven, and once again to have peace with God. The Father's love invites us, invites us to be right in our relationship. It's something that I always think about as I think about confession. Psalm 139 tells us that God knows us exhaustively. He even knows more than you know about yourself. He knows all the bad things about yourself. I just want you to think. If your wife or your husband or your friend knew everything about you, would they still accept you? <laughs> you know, think about that. I've thought about that many times. I don't know if my wife would actually accept me fully. And yet I try to tell her everything about myself. But you know, if they know the bad things about me, would they still accept me? Would they still say, I love you, I love you intensely? And you know, to make it worse, this God here is a holy God. Habakkuk, 
Chapter 1, verse 13 tells us that he is, his eyes are so pure, he cannot look at sin. He really can't. He can't look at sin. He cannot stand with the sin. In other words, the God that we are talking about cannot look at evil, but at the same time, he cannot overlook evil. He cannot overlook sin. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> In other words, friends, what we are saying here is that the God that we worship, the one that we call our Father, knows everything about us. Everything. He knows what is good about you. He knows what is bad about you. He knows the things that nobody else ever wants to know about you. And he's also a God who does not want to look at the bad things that other people see that you know about yourself that have already hurt him. You see, a right understanding of our sinfulness is important for us to know the importance of confession. And without a right understanding of the gravity of problem of sin, the problem of sin before God, we can never understand how much we need to confess our sins. Our God cannot look at evil, but he cannot also overlook evil. His eyes are too pure to look at evil. But our comfort is this. Our comfort is this. That although he knows all this about us, and more actually, he still invites us to confess our sins. In fact, the problem is our reluctance to confess our sin. That's the problem. The problem is not with him. He still wants us to come to him. And we can be bold as we come to him and we can call him our father. What a wonderful relationship. What if we knew as much about others? You see, let's understand that all sin is against God. Even when we've hurt others, all sin is against him. That's why a husband's prayer we are told in 1 Peter chapter, 1, chapter 3 verse 7 that a husband's prayer will not be heard if they have hurt and they have refused to apologize to the wife. He says, that's why I don't know how many of you have read that verse. <laughs> that if I wrong my wife and I'm not willing to apologize to her and I'm not willing to confess my sin to God, my prayers are useless. It doesn't make any difference. So friends, our merits to confess are essentially that he is our father, a loving father, not because of anything we have done, not because we are good before him, but for the same reason why we, have, we find salvation. It's his mercy, it is his grace, it's his invitation, it is his arms which are open to us, and he says, come and confess. It's important for us to understand that. Let's look now a little bit at the principles of a confession prayer. And it does say a few things here. We read from verse 5 to verse 15. And I'll just try to go through them very quickly. I don't need to spend too much time. The very first thing is that when we confess, we confess to the Father. 
We confess to God. All sin, as David himself found out, is against God. So we confess to him. Hypocrisy confesses to people. But real confession, godly confession, the confession that is acceptable to God, confesses to God. And so it's important for us to understand that. The Jewish devotees, they sought to be seen praying and confessing. But real confession prayer confesses to God. And you know that's important. Why? Because when we confess to God, you get to realize that since I'm already naked before him, both outside and inside, there is nothing for me to hide. So all confession is to God. Secondly, Jesus tells us, let your confession be simple. Let it be ordinary. Don't complicate it. It's Martin Luther, the reformer, who said, the fewer the words, the better the prayer. Sometimes we want to say so much. But what he wants is just to hear. Because he already knows the condition of your heart. He already knows what I'm struggling with. He already knows whether there is true, genuine contrition in my heart. So keep it simple, stupid, as some people say. Just keep it simple. Just tell him I've gone wrong. My life is not right. God is not moved by our words. Neither is he moved by our fashions of prayer. That's not what moves him. The Father just wants us to confess. That's it. Just confess. Simply. But thirdly, confession is also a cry for God's uninhibited reign in your life. It's like saying to the Lord, I want you to be truly Lord in my life. I don't want anything else. I want you to be Lord in me. I want you to take everything, these areas which are still dark, I want them cleaned out. And I want to be what you want me to be. Please do reign. So he says in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. Confession is part and parcel of that. When you say your kingdom come, your will be done, you're saying please have your uninhibited reign over my life. I want now to come to my third and last part, the confession of a disciple. Particularly from verse 9 to, 9 to verse 15. He says, and forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, as we have forgiven others their debts, their sins, their trespasses. I want you to note first and foremost, this is the only conditional prayer. <laughs> it's the only prayer that is answered on condition that you too forgive others. That if you do not forgive others, you will not be forgiven. We cannot be forgiven. It says, to the extent that I forgive is the extent, Lord, I'm asking you to forgive me. Now, friends, I know that each one of you would want to be forgiven totally, isn't it? 
All of us want to be forgiven totally. None of us goes to, goes to God and say, or, or wants, other, wants to forgive, to, to say to the Lord, please only forgive me half. The rest is okay. We want to be totally forgiven. Forgive others. You are forgiven to the extent you have forgiven others. In other words, the consequences of our unforgiveness of others are hindered prayer. Mark chapter 11 verse 25 tells that. First Peter, like I said before, between the husband and the wife, your prayers are in vain except you forgive others. Secondly, you will not be forgiven. You will remain in your sins. If you do not forgive others, you will not be forgiven. But thirdly, that means you continue to carry the burden of your hearts. The arrows of the wrong done continue to pierce your heart. So it's a conditional prayer, conditioned on your own forgiveness of others. What actually Jesus is saying is that to find mercy, show mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Isn't that what he says in chapter 5? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall find mercy. And so now he says, even in your prayer, show mercy to find mercy before God. If you don't show mercy to others, you're not going to find mercy. Paul tells us, as, the, as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus, so forgive. In other words, our prayer of confession will be effective to the extent that we ourselves have forgiven others. But also, Confession gives us God's forgiveness. In verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us. It's a recognition, like I said earlier, that God is the one that we have sinned against, and so we are asking for his forgiveness. And that forgiveness is the cancellation of your debt, the cancellation of my sin, the cancellation of my trespasses, completely. And we need to understand, there are people, by the way, who come to confess before God. God has completely forgiven them. And then when they are leaving, they say, no, I think let me take this sin and continue with it. And so they walk away with guilt. There's no need for us to walk with guilt, because when we do what God wants us to do, when we have shown mercy to others, we come to God for mercy, and he forgives us, he cancels the entire debt and so gone. Very good example is Matthew chapter 18. You read it for yourself. Verse 21 to 27. But you probably know the story of a servant who came to the master. And so he came to the master and he said, and the master started asking him, okay, can you give accountability? But you know, it was 10,000 talents. And 10,000 talents was just too much. I don't exactly know how much it would be in your Canadian dollars. But it would probably be hundreds and hundreds of millions of your dollars. And so the master says to him, pay up. And the master starts pleading, please, 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 please. Now, here is the marvel of that story. He was pleading to be given more time to pay up. Pleading to be given more time 
to pay up a debt he would never be able to pay. Now, I think you need to understand that. To pay up a debt he would never be able to pay. Now, I want you to think about sin. The Bible is very clear in Psalm 49, verse 6 to 7. It makes it very clear that none of us can pay the debt for sin. None of us. So it's a similar thing. There is nothing that that man would have... Pleading for more time was just to say, let me see what I can do. Let me go and strangle some of my debtors so that they give me my money and then I can probably pay. But the truth of the matter is, he was unable to pay. So what does the master do? He does not tell him, okay, now you go and work a little harder. You go and be a little bit more honest. You go and do this and then you will pay me. What does he do? And this is the picture of God that Jesus is giving us. He says, okay, I have forgiven everything. That debt is canceled. What a glorious thing that when we cannot pay, God does not hold the debt, the sin, the trespass against us. When we confess, instead we are totally restored into a right relationship with God. Friends, that is what God invites us to do. That when we confess our sins, he will forgive us everything. He does not ask for you. He does not say, okay, go and do a little bit better. It has nothing to do with that. It's about God's mercy. It's about God's grace. It's about a loving father. He says, I have forgiven everything. Hallelujah. May God bless you.